Thanks for being here again, Archbishop Lucas. You're welcome. Great to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. I always appreciate it. Many people may not be aware that you recently held a couple of listening sessions about the scandals and and related issues that that broke up in this past summer and have been roiling for a, a few months now. Can you tell us how that came about and what was on your heart to do there to to start that conversation with with the people? As I've been considering the challenges that uh, we're facing in the church now, and and as I've been praying about them, uh, what's been coming to me in my prayer, among other things, is that it's really important for me to listen and that I'll be a better pastor for the archdiocese if I have a clearer understanding of where our priests and and people are, and then also what they're hoping that we can do together uh, moving forward to come to a, a better place. So I had the opportunity at the end of the summer to have, to have rich conversations with the priest council, and all of the priests of the archdiocese were together in October for several days and got an opportunity to listen to them, to share with them some of my own, my own thoughts, and I found that really very helpful. I thought it was important, of course, uh, to um, listen to the people who, who form the majority of the, of the archdiocese, the laity. I scheduled a couple of listening sessions and uh, didn't make them widely public ahead of time. In order for there to be really effective listening, the, the size of the group had to be somewhat limited. But I did uh, invite all of our pastors to um, encourage a couple of people from their parishes uh, to come to the session either in Omaha or in, or in Norfolk. And was really gratified with the people who took time uh, in both occasions on a Saturday morning to participate in in the process. And we structured the time so that there was an opportunity for everybody who came to do some reflecting on their own, uh, to share in smaller groups, and then to to share with me. And I captured all of their comments, either in writing or or things that were said, uh, so that I can reflect on them. Also, one of the things that I promised to do at the listening sessions was to share what I heard more widely in the Archdiocese. And so that's why I'm grateful for this opportunity to, to do just that. We're grateful for it as well. There's also going to be an article in the Catholic Voice. Yeah, I think the Catholic Voice is uh, going to do a news article. So I, I wanted the people of the Archdiocese to know that I am listening, even though I can't listen to everybody individually. But a number of people have written me during these times. And then also we had good groups at, at both of the listening sessions. And I, I would say people who are somewhat typical of, of our uh, Catholic parishioners. So why representative swath of, of people. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You facilitated the, the sessions, actually. You were asking the questions and, and helping to get people to converse, talk with you, frankly, talk with one another. What did you ask them? We had several open-ended questions, you might say, for, for people to, to respond to, to try to encourage thought and then discussion. The first item I asked people to reflect on was really to share or describe their feelings or their experience in in the recent weeks and and months, as we've learned about the the misconduct of Archbishop McCarrick, as we received the results of the grand jury investigations in the Pennsylvania dioceses. And then, as we know now, uh, the Attorney General in Nebraska has also asked us to to produce records from past decades. There's been quite a bit of news about clergy misconduct, about the misconduct itself, and then the lack of follow-through on the part of of bishops to, to deal with it effectively. So I was anxious for the people who participated to just share their reaction to all that, which they did very, very generously and with a great deal of energy, I would say. I assume there was a lot of candor in that, in that room. Uh, yeah. There was. And, you know, not surprisingly, people were shocked and even embarrassed by, you know, what, what we've been hearing. People love our church and they understand the demands of the gospel and the, the fact that, that there were such serious offenses in the church and a lack of oversight was really kind of shocking and embarrassing to many people. They use words like being hurt or dismayed, disappointed, disillusioned. 
even a, a sense of shame and guilt, even though the people present hadn't committed these serious sins themselves. But there's a, a sense of shame that seems to cover us in the church as we hear about it and know that it may have been ignored or, or covered up uh, over time. We kind of bear the weight of that guilt and a real sense that injustice has been done. People have been hurt, and that's not our, that's, that's not our hope for our life together in the, in the church, that those who are looking for Jesus would come to the church and, and find hurt and, and disrespect or, or be ignored in, in their cries for help. Speaking of hope, did you hear uh, expressions of hope? Was there some harmony around resolve to move forward in some new way? Or Right. So uh, there were some other uh, questions we discussed that had, you know, talk more specifically about the future. But even in, in this first item, when we were sort of sharing feelings and, and reactions, a, a number of people expressed the fact that, that they thought that this was an important moment in, in the life of the church, kind of a turning point, and really hoped that we would see it as an opportunity that those of us in leadership would see it as an opportunity, uh, particularly to change the things that need to be changed, to be, be become more transparent, and and to use the both the tools of civil authority and and our own canon law to to make sure that things are in good order in the church and that people are living and working, acting in a in a way that's uh, that's responsible. Many people also expressed their own uh, sense that it was a moment for them too. Uh, to examine themselves, their own participation in the church, and to, to see how they could make a contribution to, uh, to things becoming different, becoming better. So in the midst of, midst of the sadness and anger and disillusionment, these faithful Catholics uh, also are holding on to hope that we're, we're moving to a better place. Mm-hmm. And we need to, but, but that uh, this is an opportunity that we can take advantage of. So overall, the, the concern sounds like it's, it's born of a, a faithfulness. There's a Right. Fidelity, a desire for a love for the church. Yeah. yeah, I mean, really, I heard over and over again that, uh, that uh, expressed very clearly that the people love the church and they have decided they're not going anywhere. So even though they're, they might be ashamed or angry or disillusioned, they love our Lord Jesus Christ. They meet Him in the church. They they value their own life and participation in in, in the church. So they're ready. Um, if 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 I'm ready, if the leaders of the church are ready to to do something, to take a, a step in a good direction, as difficult or as challenging as that as that might be, I found a great deal of encouragement there. So th- 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 it, there wasn't a kind of ultimatum, you know, you do this or else we're out of here. And I don't say that flippantly, but v- very much the opposite. You know, we're here and we want to help, and uh, but we also want to hold you accountable. And I think all that uh, uh, seems very healthy. We can't have a family, a friendship any important relationship without that trust, without the holding one another accountable to some, to some degree. It's, sure. That's, that's beautiful to hear. I, yeah. And, you know, we've heard in the news and it, it came through in the, in the listening sessions, a concern about clericalism. People don't always call it that, but you know, a, a sense that there's a wrong balance of, of authority and responsibility in the, in the bishops and, and priests beyond really what is healthy for the life of the church and, and beyond what is really the scope of the of our particular vocation and, and responsibility. Many people uh, uh, spoke in a, a way of kind of offering <laughs> that you know the, 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 this is time uh, for more lay uh, participation, more lay influence in a good and healthy way. Uh, and in the in the following discussion about what we might do in the future, you know, there there was a great encouragement to. Um, use the, the gifts that the Holy Spirit is providing in the larger church for the best advantage uh, right now. It's not a matter of 
just one group taking power from another group, but, but how do we really move together as, a, as the Church of Jesus Christ, making sure that all the charisms that the Spirit is providing are, are being used and that there isn't um, uh, an isolation in terms of authority or responsibility that uh, is felt by the, by the bishop or by the, the clergy. And to that point about not being isolated, I, I know you've said before, and, and I think as we, you went through this process of, of listening, uh, you were telling me earlier that one of the resolutions that you're carrying forward is is to share what our local church has said and your own resolve uh, with your brother bishops in the upcoming meeting in November. That was something discussed as well in the Right, session. so I, one of the reasons for holding the, the listening sessions was to uh, help prepare me for the, the meeting of the bishops' conference. I, I want to uh, make sure that I have a clear sense of the faithful here uh, that I've uh, been sent to pastor and uh, listening uh, to the very generous sharing, both about uh, current reactions but also hopes for the future, gives me a, a, a firm resolve uh, to work with my brother bishops, to, to do what we can, particularly to, to put in place accountability for, for bishops in an appropriate way. And I think in doing that, we will make use of the laity who, who very much want to, want to assist us uh, in that. But also the, uh, the resolve to work for an increased transparency all up and down the line in the, in the church. So a number of people mentioned, you know, we need, there, there needs to be a, a sense that from the Pope on down uh, to every person in, in the pew that there's, uh, there can be restored confidence that's based on the expectation that we're hearing the truth and that when we uh, ask a question or have a concern about uh, whether it's misconduct or, or other um, things that we're involved in, that, that there's a reasonable explanation and a reasonable understanding together of what's going on. Transparency is one of the, the key words there. How do you expect or, or do you have a sense of how that conversation is going to take place in November when, when you all meet? Is there... <laughs> I, uh, yeah, my... Um, Communications with the other bishops, or with you know some other bishops these days, is very informal. But I think there's a there's a resolve among all of us that you know we don't want to come home from this meeting with everything just the same as it was when right, w- when we left. Uh, Cardinal Gennaro, who's the president of our bishops' conference, has drawn up some proposals for us to consider. They in- include um, how to ensure that there will be accountability for for bishops and that there is a w- will be a way if someone has a concern about the conduct of a, of a bishop or the ex- his exercise of his pastoral responsibility, that that can be raised and, and can be investigated and, and addressed in, in an appropriate way. And I think it's going to take the Holy Father to ratify anything that, that we suggest, but, but we are hopeful that, that uh, we can work through this. Again, Pope Francis has, has expressed fairly clearly his, his own desire that the incidents of abuse and the causes of abuse be addressed and that, that victims be assisted and that they be listened to first and, and then pastoral care be, be provided to them. So how we do that uh, in a more effective way, um, I think in some ways we're, we're already doing it in this country, but we see that there are some systemic things that need to be addressed. That's what, what comes clearly through these uh, reports from Pennsylvania, dioceses, and, and other places that over many years there just was not an effective means in, in place just to, to ensure that uh, we would have safe environments to start with, but then also when there were incidents of, of abuse that they could be addressed justly and, and that those who were the perpetrators of, of abuse would not have the opportunity to do that again within the church. Mm-hmm. 
So in many ways, we have, we're in a better place, as I say, but there's a, now as much as anything is a crisis of confidence in, in leadership, again, from the Pope uh, down to me and to other bishops, that we really um, understand the, the seriousness of the problem, the hurt that it has caused in the church and disappointment and disillusionment. There's a hope on the part of our people that I hear very clearly that, that we will be resolved to, to deal with this effectively. And it'll take some steps over time, but we, but we need to be diligent and uh, have a sense of urgency about it. One one small step, at least in you know more local level, at increasing confidence or restoring confidence where people may have doubt about just the way things operate in the church, you know processes that may they may think are behind the scenes or uh, may not be happening. That there there are some systems in place, there are people in place, there are uh, processes that we do follow that are that are functioning. It seems that even a lot of faithful Catholics aren't aren't totally aware that there are places where where things are, are relatively healthy, they can always be improved, of course, but yeah. it's not that we're starting from zero. Basically. Right, it's one of the things I realized in the listening sessions is that we haven't always been effective in communicating uh, to our people what we have already put, put in place um, as a result of the Charter for the Protection of Children and Young People that was implemented uh, in the, the early 2000s. So the, the listening sessions gave me also the, the opportunity to talk a little bit about what we are doing. And I really encourage anyone who uh, was interested, real, encourage everybody to go to our Archdiocesan website and to look at, at the very um, involved and, and detailed policies we have in place and processes to ensure a safe environment for children and young people in the, in the church and to um, receive the uh, concerns of, of, uh, of our people if they experience anything themselves or see something uh, that uh, they are uncomfortable with or that, that is out of line. There's a way to, to report that. Those reports will be received uh, very respectfully, and we'll follow through. Uh, part of the transparency, of course, has been our commitment to work with law enforcement officials and to encourage all of our people, if they see something, to, to call the police first um, before they even report it to us. We, but our commitment is to keep that, that communication open and to share any information we would have the, of something of a criminal nature, abusive nature, to local law enforcement. So that uh, kind of transparency and, and accountability has, has already been in place now for some years, and I think it's, it's been shown to be, to be effective. But we have to uh, be diligent about those and, and maintain those structures and, and, uh, and procedures for the, for the ongoing good of the church and, and for the respect and safety of, of vulnerable people in our church. As you pray and as you reflect on what you've received from the people, what other steps do you, do you discern might be taken next? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, uh, it was one of the things we asked people, you know, so what, what are you looking for in our archdiocese mm-hmm. over the next year or two that would help with the restoration of confidence and help with, uh, with the healing ongoing? And so there were some specific, rather specific suggestions that came, came through at that time. One of the suggestions which I welcome is, is the desire to see more women in uh, posi- positions of influence uh, in, in the archdiocese in, in terms of leadership or archdiocesan programs. They're uh, connected to that, of course, is the desire to, that I make better use of the lay faithful uh, it, it, to address this, but other challenges, too, that, that face us ongoing. Long before my time here, there was an Archdiocesan Pastoral Council, which was made up of laity from around the Archdiocese that met uh, regularly with the Archbishop. And so there were some suggestions that that or something similar be reinstituted. Uh, I have to say it, it would have been helpful to have that at this Moment, you know, because it's a ready-made opportunity to listen and to receive mm. feedback from from those who are members of the laity who are, who are very invested in the life of the church in, in various uh, places. 
So we'll see how some of those things uh, might be possible going forward. I'm very open to those suggestions, and I would find them helpful and, and good. As I was saying earlier, with, the, with regard to the, uh, the policies that are already in place, I think we can work better on our communication uh, efforts. Count on good people like you to, to, uh, to, to help. We're trying. But, it, yeah. I mean, it's, yep. it's, of course, it's the work of announcing the gospel always. It's a, it's a matter of communication. But we realize that most of our people in the pews get their information from the secular media, and we have good opportunities to, to share and exchange information within the archdiocese, but they're, they're not quite as loud or, or as present in the lives and the minds of, of people as, as what they're getting other places. So that's a, it's a challenge, but it's a, it's a good challenge for us to uh, know because the more we're all familiar with what's happening, not only in moments of crisis, those are important, but, uh, but also other times too, the, the more we're acquainted with one another, the, the more confidence we can have, have in each other. So I, I was um, grateful at the listening sessions that, that the folks who came were so generous in sharing their thoughts and their responses because it helps me put confidence in how the Holy Spirit is working in them, and I hope that my communication with them uh, helps in, in the same way. We have to I think, create more opportunities for that to happen uh, going forward. It's easy to be fragmented. We see it in our, in, again, a secular society. We're all affected by that. Too in, in the church, there's a great pulling apart and dividing and a lack of trust in all kinds of ways. So I've said before, the mission of Jesus is communion. It's to, you know, to bring people together to heal divisions and to heal hurts that are the, the effect of, of sin. And I'm, I'm not sure we always see that as, as central to our mission, that kind of communicating and listening and offering, receiving from, from one another, an exchange of gifts really that are provided first by the Holy Spirit that help us flourish, each of us in our own vocations with our own responsibilities. But, but we, do, we do need one another, and I think I need to perhaps be more explicit in calling forth those gifts from the larger church, people who, who want to contribute in many ways, who perhaps feel that they aren't being invited. Yeah, I, I echo that as, as somebody who's working with you, for you, in, uh, in the realm of communications, definitely something that I hear also from, from people who work at parish level or even in, in other areas of the church and around the country that yeah, a renewed commitment to communicate, um, to communicate the gospel, to share. Once again, like what what's the what's the reason we're here? Like why why have we been called here? How aware are we that we've been called here by Jesus, and that He has a mission for us? And that these moments of of crisis and difficulty highlight the need for the mission. Again, the temptation would be to say, "Oh, we've been defeated," rather than here again is just showing the need for the mission, and, and not that. It's time to fold up shop, rather quite the opposite. It's, it's, it's time to unleash more of, of what he's made us to be, it seems. So, um, right, so we don't want to just sweep the past wrongs or hurts under the rug or say, right. well, okay, that's, we're, oh, that's all over now. We're going right. to go some, do something else. Right. But as I said, I've, I heard from people a, a real hopefulness that, that this is a kind of a decisive moment mm-hmm. for us to do just what you're saying, to ask ourselves, well, what is our mission? What is Jesus offering us? What's he asking of us? And let's make sure that that's where, where our, our focus is. Yeah. And certainly what he's asking of us is that we acknowledge our sinfulness so that he can apply his mercy where that's needed. <laughs> certainly what he's asking of us is that we uh, care for those who have, have been hurt or who are burdened by the abuse or by the scandals resulting from, from the abuse, that we not ignore that mm-hmm. or try to minimize it in any way. There was, uh, again, as people look to the future, I think I, I sense a great hope and a great desire. Let's be the church that, that the Lord founded and that he wants us to be. The world needs our witness. This witness has been clouded 
and compromised in, in some very serious ways. So how can we uh, acknowledge that, restore justice uh, as that's needed, but then move ahead in a, an evangelistic way, really, um, close to the Lord ourselves, but, but really presenting him to our neighbors? I can add nothing to that. That's something I will, I will say. Let's pray for that. Let's join the Archbishop in praying that this process that we're in right now, this, this time that we're in, bears fruit for ourselves and for those who come after us. Side note, as you mentioned, the safe environment information and related um, resources on the Archdiocesan website, archomaha.org. If you go to the homepage, you scroll down to the part that says, I am interested in, there's a tab that says safe environment, and there we have links to the review board, to victim assistance information, and to other resources and policies that are pertinent to that. And you can sign up for safe environment training, which is something required of anybody who's going to be working with minors in any of our apostolates or organizations across the archdiocese, archomaha.org. Archbishop, thank you once again for sharing your pastor's heart with us, for shepherding us, and for taking these steps to engage us in the conversation. Yes, thank you. I, um, of course, I heard a lot more than I was able to share right now <laughs> for, uh, from people, but I wanted just to assure everyone that I receive all of the comments gratefully and, and uh, am praying with them and you know trying to extract the, the great wisdom that, uh, that I heard. I found it very encouraging and very generous on the part of those who shared. So I really want to say thanks to all the people who have communicated with me formally and informally in these recent weeks. I um, value that, uh, that communication, and I'll try to, try to be worthy of the trust that you're putting in me to work with my brother bishops uh, to help us affect some, the change where we need to. And we'll keep you in our prayers for that meeting. Thanks. I'll count on that, too. Thank you for listening to The Shepherd's Voice, a podcast of the Archdiocese of Omaha. For more information, visit archomaha.org slash podcast. 